We are about to open God's word together and meditate on one of his psalms. But before we do that, let's turn together to the prayer for illumination, the psalm-based prayer for illumination that's printed in your bulletin and ask God's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Let's pray. Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your book. For your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. Lord, open my heart that your truth would be my joy and my delight. For your word is a light to my feet and a light to my path. Lord, open my mind that you would show me the way to live. For your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. Guide me by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Bible reading this morning is from Psalm 104. That's found on page 940 in your pew Bibles. That's a long psalm, and I'm going to read the whole thing, all 35 verses of it. Um, So buckle up. But before we get to that, I would like to to set a context. I I would like to enrich the reading by, by saying a few things before I actually get to the reading of God's word. And a while back, in an evening sermon, um, those of you who come at night will remember that I made a reference to something that a poet named Malcolm Gite said. Malcolm Gite, a very well-known poet, a Christian poet. He was on a podcast with Russell Moore, and he made this uh, observation about the way that people talk about the world, the images and the metaphors they use to talk about the world has changed over the course of his lifetime and my lifetime. He's a poet, right? So he pays a lot of attention to images and metaphors. And he noted in particular that the way we talk about people, the metaphors, the images that we use to talk about people has changed. So for example, if a person was really talented, like really good at playing the violin, for instance, (laughs) that um, what we would use when we would talk about that in the past, Our default way of talking about that was to use a language of giftedness and calling, okay? And certainly we as Christians did that, but it it was the whole culture kind of did that. And we'd see someone play the violin really well and say, wow, she really has a gift. That is clearly her calling. She was made to do that, man, the way she plays, okay? It's a language of giftedness and calling, and the suggestion is certainly as Christians that this is something that comes from outside the person. It's something bestowed upon them, right? It's something from God. And even people, like I said, who weren't Christians would talk this way, like something from outside themselves is is giving this to them as a gift. And he noted, though, that lately the metaphors have changed to become the language of mechanics and process, Like, wow, she really plays well. It's in her DNA. It's in her genes. She was wired to do that, man. Now, there's a subtle shift, but there's something in it, right? Because no longer is this a gift coming from the outside. Now it's just, it is what it is. It's an accident of genetics. It's a mechanical process. It's not a gift from outside. It's just the way the machine works. So the previous metaphors were language of gift, The new metaphors talk about us like we're a machine. And that, of course, is not just something you see in the way we talk about human beings. That's absolutely something that we do when we talk about the natural world. 
When we talk about the natural world, our default way of talking these days is the language of process and mechanics. Weather, what is weather? It's the moving of warm fronts and cold fronts of low pressure systems and high pressure systems and wind is caused by the way these systems interact and these systems are moved by the jet stream. Mechanics and process. Mountains, what are mountains? Well, they're caused by the movement of tectonic plates. Millions of years ago, these plates, these moved and they crashed into each other and continents crinkled and mountains were raised up. Sunrises and sunset are from the spinning of the earth. Seasons are from the tilt of the earth's axis towards the sun or away from it. It's our default lens. We see the world through mechanics and process. And, and when those metaphors become our dominant metaphors, obviously, if that's the way we talk, that shapes us. That shapes the way we look at the world. Now, let's read Psalm 104. Is... That the view of Psalm 104, does the psalmist of Psalm 104 have a mechanical view of the world? Let's hear and see. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. And he lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot, and he rides on the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, and the flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations, it can never be moved. You covered the watery depths as with a garment, the waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. They flowed over the mountains, they went down into the valleys, to the place that you assigned for them. You set a boundary that they cannot cross. Never again can they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into ravines, flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters, and they sing in the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, and the stork has its home in the junipers, the high mountains belong to the wild goats, and the crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows when to go down. Lord, you bring darkness, and it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey, and they seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away, and they return and lie down in their dens. And then the people go out to their work, and they labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There's the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed, 
frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. When you hide their, your face, they are terrified. And when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they're created. And you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in all his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will, praise to my, I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So is that a mechanical view of the world, right? Is that a, is that a, a wired view of the world? No, it, it is absolutely the opposite. The psalmist does not see the wind and the light and the mountains as mechanical things, as process things. He sees them all as the works of God. He sees God intimately involved with every single one of them. For the psalmist, it's not simply that God created the world a long time ago and started the processes and now they're going on their own. No, it's like in every blade of grass, in every leaf, God's hands are operating right now. A sunset is not simply light refracted through the atmosphere as the earth turns. Every sunset is God's handiwork, God's art given to us every evening. The light that pours through your kitchen window on a sunny summer morning, that's not simply sunlight coming in through your window. That is the hem of God's garment going through your kitchen like a benediction. The mist that shrouds the mountains, that is not simply warm, moist air coming into contact with cool air and creating condensation. That is God touching the mountains so they smoke. The clouds in the sky, they're not just big clouds of vapor, they're God's chariot. The mountains are not simply products of tectonic shifts. The mountains are raised out of the waters by the hands of God. And the breath of every living thing, including yours, is God's breath moving in you. Every beat of your heart is there by the grace of God. In Psalm 104, God takes us on this long tour of creation. And sometimes that tour soars up to the heights so we can see the moon and the stars and the big picture and we see the glory of God there. And sometimes the tour goes down into the rocky crags of the mountain where we can see the hyrax in its den. And we are made to see that every single part of this creation subsists by the breath of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, the will of the Lord, the act of the Lord. Creation is the theater of God's glory in Psalm 104. Now, does that mean that the psalmist does not believe in the processes? Does that mean, I mean, the psalmist didn't know about condensation in the way that we know about condensation. Would the, would the psalmist deny that clouds are condensation? Psalmist didn't know about tectonic plates. Would the psalmist deny that, that mountains were the result of tectonic plates coming together? No, I don't think so. 
He's not denying the processes. What he's denying is that these processes are simply cold and impersonal. Every equation of physics, every action of chemistry, every action of biology is something where God is intimately involved. Every process is not cold and impersonal. It is superintended. It is done by our Lord and God. They are physics equations that you learned in school don't just simply exist. They exist because moment by moment, God wills them to be that way. Depending on how you look at things, the mechanical perspective and the Psalm 104 perspective are not in conflict with each other. Let me give you an example. And this is an example that I got from a guy named John Polkinghorne, who was a physicist who taught at Cambridge. He says, consider a, uh, a kettle boiling on a stove. How do you describe what's happening when you see a kettle boiling on a stove? Well, there's two different ways you can go at it. You could describe it mechanically. You could say, well, um, the igniter on the stove ignites the gas. The gas burns, creates heat. The heat gets the molecules going, and when the molecules go fast enough, 212 degrees Fahrenheit, 100 degrees centigrade, uh, steam is formed, and then the tea bag goes in there, chemical processes, you have tea. Is that, a, is that a true description of what's happening? Absolutely it is. But here's another description. What's happening when the kettle goes on the stove? Two old friends are sitting down for tea. They haven't seen each other in a long, long time. And the host has baked cookies, and she's put the teapot on, and she set out the tea bags and two mugs, and she is so excited that she and her friend can sit down for two hours and talk over a cup of tea. Both those accounts are true. The second is richer and deeper and more meaningful. That's the Psalm 104 perspective. Psalm 104 is teaching us to see beyond the process, through the process, to the love and care of the Holy Spirit and the living God. What happens to us when we learn to see the world more deeply, when we learn the Psalm 104 perspective and begin to see God active in all these processes in every place? Well, three things, and I want to close this sermon by saying at least there's more than three things, but just three of those things I'm going to share with you this morning. And they all start with a P so that you can remember them, which is corny, but there it is. And we learn to see um, creation from the Psalm 104 perspective. Uh, we learn something about God's presence. We learn something about God's presence. Uh, the Psalms, of, of lots of Psalms where the problem of, of God's absence is explored, right? Most of the lament Psalms are written by people who are not feeling God's presence right now, right? Lord, why do you hide your face from me? How long, Lord, before, before I see your face, right? The sense that sometimes we don't feel God as close as we'd like, that's a real human thing. We all know it, and the Psalms acknowledge it. Is that a problem for the psalmist of Psalm 104? Is he feeling a lack of God's presence? No. I mean, quite the opposite. Everywhere the psalmist looks, the, the, the earth is charged with the grandeur of God, and Christ plays in 10,000 places. Everywhere he looks, he sees God in action. And it reminds us that, that, that if we are patient and pay attention, the created world is a place where we can reconnect with God and learn to see his presence in our life. Because for us too, of course, 
Um, we may not see it like the psalmist, but for us too, God is at work in all these places and at work in every beautiful thing that we see. It's just that we're so busy going through our stuff with our head to the ground that we don't always notice. With a little bit of patience, a little discipline, a little attention, we can learn to see more deeply. Maybe you know that as part of this psalm series, we're doing uh, nature walks. Dean Rooks is taking some congregation members on nature walks. Why are we doing that? Well, when you walk through nature with the right eyes, with a Psalm 104 perspective, that's an opportunity to see more deeply, to see the presence of God in the world around you. Or if you can't go on those walks, and I haven't been able to go, there are other things you can do. A simple sensory exercise, for example. Or you just go through your senses and ask yourself, what is God presenting to me right now? through my five senses. So go for a walk in the morning, or if you can't walk, go sit out on your porch in the morning and, and just do this. Say, what do I see? I see the beautiful slanted light of a summer morning. Thank you, God, for that gift. What do I smell? I cut the grass yesterday, and I smell the fresh-cut grass, this beautiful late summer odor. Thank you, God, for this amazing gift. What do I feel? I feel the cool air of the morning. I feel my 57-year-old body creaking to life. Thank you, God, for this amazing gift. What do you hear? I hear the bird song ushering in the morning and a morning dove just a block away. Thank you, God, for this sweet music. And what do you taste? I taste the first cup of coffee in the morning, and Lord, there is no better taste than that. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful gift. It's a simple thing, and there are lots of ways to do it, a thousand ways to do it, to wake yourself up to the presence of God working around you all the time through the natural world. And if you learn to see that, that is a sometimes a step that can help you not only to see God at work in the natural world, but in the story of your own life, to wake you up to the presence of God in all things and all places and all the acts of history. Getting a Psalm 104 perspective trains us in God's presence. Second, it also trains us in God's praise. I don't have much time to talk about this one or my sermon will be too long. Um, but I think you can see this one. If, if you just see the word as a, a cold mechanical thing, if it's, if it's just, it is what it is and it just happened to exist, if it's an, uh, if it's a, um, an evolutionary epiphenomenon, you, you're not going to experience much gratitude for that, right? Or praise. It, it just, it's just, it's a given of life. It is, it's just there. But if, if you see it as God's gift, if you see God's activity in it, that all of a sudden you start to experience gratitude and praise and, and from those flow all kinds of good things. Uh, generosity, joy, kindness, care for God's creation. All these things flow out of that praise. So having a Psalm 104 perspective tra uh, trains you in presence, trains you in praise, and finally it trains you in God's protective power. Here's, I have to get a little Bible nerdy with you, and I know you like that, so that's okay. Remember that Psalm 104 uh, would have been written at a time when uh, the, the nations around 
Israel had very different systems of deities, and most of them were polytheistic, right? They had many, many gods. And if you know anything about them, most of the time those gods were associated, what were they associated with? Different natural phenomena, right? So God of the sun, God of the moon, God of the day, God of the night, God of the sea, God of the storms. And all these gods, not only were they gods of, of different parts of nature, but their power was circumscribed by those different parts, right? So if you were the god of the, the god of the sun was mighty during the day, but not so much at night. And the god of the sea, its jurisdiction was the sea, and the god of the storm, its jurisdiction was a storm, okay? That's how it worked. And why am I saying this? Many scholars have noticed that Psalm 104, and especially the middle part from verses 19 to 23, bears a very strong resemblance to an Egyptian song of praise to the sun god Ra, okay? There's a remarkable correspondence to this old Egyptian psalm of praise, which is quite well known and which the psalmist could have well known, and to the middle part of this psalm. And just to show you how that's true, I'm going to read a little bit. This is the Egyptian song to the sun god Ra, and, and you'll hear about the night and the lions, and, and you'll hear some of the same images. Listen. At night when thou dost go down, the earth is in darkness resembling death. Every lion has come forth from his den, all the snakes bite. Darkness prevails and the earth is in silence since he who made them is resting in his horizon. Okay, so you can hear the similarity in the sense that the sun goes down and, and the lions prowl around. But did the psalmist just plagiarize the Egyptian hymn? No. If you're listening carefully, there's some significant differences between those two hymns. Did you notice the difference? For the Egyptian hymn, what is night? It's a place of terror. The lions prowl around. It's a time of death. It's a time of chaos. Why is it a time of chaos? Because the sun is down. Ra is no longer powerful at night. At night is when chaos reigns and we fearfully stay inside. That's what it says in the Egyptian hymn. Is that what Psalm 104 says? Absolutely not. It says something completely different. God is the Lord of the night. He is the Lord of the day and the Lord of the night. He is the one who commands the darkness to come. He is the one who commands it to end. And when the lions roar, they look to him for their food. Ra only rules the day, but the Lord rules everything, says the psalmist. And this is a message you hear all through the psalms. If you listen more deeply, if you listen to it in that context, right? Here's, here's a few verses from Psalm 95. Listen to this. In God's hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. That's more than just nice poetry about creation. I mean, it is that at least. But every single one of those phrases is also a poke against the religions around Israel and saying that contrary to them, God is the Lord of everything. The depths of the earth, the heights of the earth, the depths of the sea, the day, the night, he is Lord of it all. And that's a reminder to little Hebrew children or sitting in their beds at night and hearing things go bump in the night, that God is the Lord of the night, that he will take care of them, and they don't need to be afraid. 
And it's a reminder to big American children who sit in their beds at night and worry about things that go bump in the night and about the anxieties that they're carrying. That God is the Lord of the night and that he will take care of them and they don't need to be afraid. Psalm 104 effectively does what Paul says at the end of Romans 8 when he's thinking about Jesus and his resurrection. Psalm 104 is an Old Testament version of neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you have a Psalm 104 perspective on your life, you learn about God's presence, you learn to praise, and you learn about his protective power. The church has had an, um, an uneasy relationship with creation spirituality, right? I mean, I sometimes, in my experience, when you talk about creation and God and creation, people think, ooh, he's getting a little new agey there. Um, I remember one time at my previous church, we put a famous prayer of St. Francis. I don't know if you know this prayer where he talks about brother, son, and sister moon. Um, we got letters. Um, <laughs> it's St. Francis. He's a good guy. <laughs> Psalm 104 shows us, though, that creation spirituality can be a good and beautiful thing, a thing that can lead us into the presence of God, a thing that can remind us that um, when Jesus rose and died, he did it for all parts of creation and for us, of course, too. And after all, isn't Psalm 104 spirituality exactly what Jesus practices when he says, consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, yet not even Solomon in all his splendor was arrayed as such as these. And if he who clothes the lilies can clothe them with such glory, will he not also clothe you, O you of little faith? Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the blessing of his creation, for its witness, for its order, and for its beauty. Amen. Lord God, what a privilege it is to be alive. And, and we, Lord, focus on the problems of our world and our problems of our lives, and those are real, and those do keep us up at night, Lord. You know that they do. We thank you, Lord, that, um, that in and around us all the time, you give us this witness, this beautiful witness of your goodness, of your care, and of the glory of, of the life you have for us. And I thank you, Lord, that in Jesus Christ, you have sustained and redeemed all these things. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.